Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens, that's me, where I'll be your host for a creepy double feature every night throughout the month of October. Come join me, won't you? It is October 14th, my friends, and this is the first of two consecutive Satanic Panic movie nights we're going to have here on 62 Horror Movies. First up tonight, we are going to be talking about Rosemary's Baby, made in 1968, and Hereditary, made in 2018. Two really, really, really brilliant movies. Um, For me, I think Rosemary's Baby is one of those few movies that I've seen that I kind of think is perfect. Uh, From the directing to the writing to the art decoration, costume design, the acting, the editing, the music, everything about Rosemary's Baby I think is just kind of flawless. Um... And it's been called, and I think justly, the most faithful film adaptation of a book that has ever been made. And I think that is very, very true. Uh, Rosemary's Baby is based on the novel by Ira Levin, an equally brilliant book to read. I read it, I think, in a day um, when I first encountered it, because you just, it's one of those books you just can't put down. And before the book was even published, It was, um, the film rights were purchased by none other than William Castle, who directed House on Haunted Hill and Thirteen Ghosts and The Tingler and uh, Mr. Sardonicus, all those really successful low-budget horror movies from the 50s and 60s. And he got the rights to Rosemary's Baby on the condition that he could produce the movie but he was not allowed to direct it. Um, And he took the deal because he really thought that Rosemary's Baby was going to be a huge success, and it was. Uh, Really caught the zeitgeist of the time, you know, with that whole, you know, God God is dead uh, thing that started coming out in the late 60s and the 70s, which uh, is what caused... Films like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and The Omen and their many, many um, derivative uh, versions to come about. And there was really uh, something going on in the public consciousness of that time of really questioning uh, the existence of God and the existence of the devil. Mm. And uh, Rosemary's Baby is directed and written by Roman Polanski. Um, This was his first American film. And Roman Polanski's screenplay is so faithful to Ira Levin's book because this was the first time that Roman Polanski had ever adapted a work by another author. And so he wasn't aware that he was allowed to change things. Um... So almost every line of dialogue that you hear in this movie is found in Ira Levin's book. Um, The descriptions of 
the interiors, the apartments, the clothes are all from the book. Uh, there's even a little story that uh, Roman Polanski called up Ira Levin because in the book, Ira Levin mentions that there um, is an advertisement for men's shirts in a magazine, uh, in I think the New Yorker magazine, and he uh, Polanski couldn't find the right issue that had this advertisement in it uh, during the timeline that it was supposed to take place in. And Ira Levin had to admit to Roman Polanski that he just made that detail up, that he just assumed there would probably always be uh, an advertisement for men's shirts uh, in a New Yorker magazine, but there wasn't in real life. Uh, so that is, I think, a really great illustration of how faithful... Roman Polanski's script and direction is to Ira Levin's Rosemary's Baby. And uh, the opening credits of Rosemary's Baby do such a great job of setting the mood of this film, and I'm going to put them on while I talk about it a little bit. So these opening credits, this lullaby, uh, which is both really beautiful and ethereal, but there's also a weird spooky edge to the music at the same time, which I think works really well. And the opening credits start with a pan over New York City, telling you right away that this is not a horror movie about, you know, creepy things happening in a small town. This is happening in New York City, one of the, you know, greatest metropolises in the world. And it is happening right now. Uh, it, when this was made, this was the New York City that existed for everyone. They did so much filming on location out in the streets. Um, and... I think the film is made immeasurably creepier by using for to, as a stand-in for the uh, Bramford apartment building on Central Park. They use the exterior of the Dakota building, um, which has an added creepiness now that it did not have in 1968 when this film was released because the Dakota, uh, the law, of course, is where John Lennon was shot and killed uh so it has that sinister aspect to it now that did not exist for the initial audiences of this movie and the dakota is just such a magnificently spooky piece of architecture they weren't allowed to film inside of it um so all of the interiors that you see in the apartment building are sets uh, that Roman Polanski had built on a studio soundstage. Um, but the exterior of the building just really sets the tone. It's like a, you know, gothic castle in the middle of New York City. And in another sort of creepy coincidence that is creepier now and wouldn't have been then is that the location where one character 
dies outside of the apartment building quite early on in the movie. I won't say who it is. Um, but where you see that character's bloody corpse outside of the Dakota uh, is actually filmed only steps away from where John Lennon was murdered. So again, another very spooky uh, thing that is spooky now, but wasn't spooky then. That lullaby theme is performed by Mia Farrow, who is the star of this movie as Rosemary Woodhouse carries the whole movie on her back. And uh, adding to my list of actors who were screwed out of an Oscar nomination and win because they're in a horror movie, Mia Farrow absolutely should have been nominated for Best Actress for Rosemary's Baby and should have won. It is the greatest screen performance that she ever gave. And Mia Farrow, when she was cast in this movie, hadn't done a lot of movies before this, but she was famous for playing Alison McKenzie on the primetime soap opera Peyton Place, which was a huge, huge hit in the six in the sixties. Um, and she eventually left it for a film career, but she was known for that. And she was also famous at the time because she had recently married Frank Sinatra. And Frank Sinatra wanted Mia Farrow to stop acting after they got married and just be his little wife at home and bear his children. Uh, but Mia Farrow could not resist playing the lead in Rosemary's Baby because it is such a great role, a role that any young actor trying to make a splash in movies would dream of. So she started making the movie. And then her husband, Frank Sinatra, sent a lawyer and served Mia Farrow with divorce papers on the set of Rosemary's Baby while the cast and the crew were watching. Fuck Frank Sinatra. Um, really shitty, shitty thing to do. Um, so Mia Farrow wanted to quit the movie but to try and save her marriage, but uh, the producers put together a one-hour-long rough cut of the footage that they had shot of the film so far and told her, look, you're going to win an Academy Award for this. And she liked what she was seeing, was proud of the work she'd done so far, and continued making the movie. And eventually divorced Frank Sinatra and um, did a performance that is, I think, one of the greatest um, in horror history. There, there really isn't an emotion that Mia Farrow doesn't touch in this film. She's so sympathetic, um, and you're just with her 100% of the time, and you're wondering until the very end of this movie if there really is you know, a satanic cult in the building um, and that the baby she's going to give birth to is actually the Antichrist because she was raped by the devil, which she kind of remembers, but it might have been a dream or maybe not. Uh, and that teasing of ambiguity, both present in Ira Levin's book and in Roman Polanski's film of Rosemary's Baby, 
is just absolutely terrific. And when you find out at the very end what's really been going on, it is incredibly satisfying. Mia Farrow really went all out for this role. She lost a tremendous amount of weight, um, got a very short haircut. She uh, was a vegetarian at the time, but she ate raw meat um, because it was in the script. And she actually... The scene where she's very pregnant and wanders out into the middle of Manhattan traffic was actually filmed for real. Um, Roman Polan, she wasn't sure about it because, you know, that's super dangerous. But Roman Polanski said, trust me, no one is going to hit a pregnant woman. So that, so Mia Farrow actually walked out into the middle of traffic in New York City and Roman Polanski followed her with a handheld camera um, because he felt that, you know, he he should be the one to do it because it was very dangerous. And um, like he predicted, uh, no car, no cars hit them. They made it safely. And it's a really harrowing scene in the film. And I think even more so when you know that that is not a setup that is real. Um, also in the film, uh, we have John Cassavetes as Rosemary's husband, Guy, um, who's a, a, um, a spy, who's an actor trying to make it big. And John Cassavetes was actually a film director in his own right, was really, um, a huge, huge influence in the independent film movement in the 60s and 70s and he did not enjoy making rosemary's baby uh but i think he's great in this movie and i think the fact that he didn't enjoy the experience actually kind of works because there's the you, you never quite like guy um, you never can quite see inside his head. You're never quite sure what he's really thinking. Um, so I think it works super well. Uh, and as their next door neighbors, you, the Castavets, the sort of kooky old couple who are all into Rosemary and Guy's business, um, you have Sidney Blackmer as Roman Castavet, uh, who's traveled all over the world. He's just delightful. And even more delightful is the great Ruth Gordon as Minnie Castavet. Uh, Ruth Gordon was hugely, hugely legendary stage actor. Um, and then really, thanks to this movie, got a really lovely uh, final act as a film actor. She actually was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Rosemary's Baby, and she won. Uh, which is one of the few times that an actor in a horror movie actually wins an Oscar for it. Uh, and she deserves it. Uh, Minnie is such a is such a layered character. There's so many little details to her performance that are just wonderful to watch. And she deserved that Oscar. She is tremendous in this movie. The rest of the supporting cast of Rosemary's Baby is equally excellent, and it's filled with old Hollywood character actors, because um, Roman Polanski knew that that's how he wanted to cast the rest of the movie, but he didn't know the name, so he drew pictures of all of 
of what he thought all these characters looked like. And then the casting director found the actors that matched what Roman Polanski had drawn. And one of them is one of my favorite old character actors, Elisha Cook, um, who we previously saw uh, in House on Haunted Hill, and we will see again in another movie uh, a little bit later uh, this month. Uh, also in the Maltese Falcon, but he makes an appearance early on uh, as the man who is showing the apartment to Rosemary and Guy. So Rosemary's Baby, again, I think is kind of a perfect film uh, in every way. I think all the choices are right, and it, is, it still packs a great emotional punch today and is genuinely unsettling and has, I think, one of the most effective ending scenes in horror movie history. So we'll pause, watch Rosemary's Baby, and come back for our second feature of the night. That is some of the music from our second feature of the night, Hereditary, written and directed by Ari Aster, released in 2018, and I think a really great companion piece for Rosemary's Baby, in that it is a movie where, like Rosemary's Baby, until the very end, you are not sure exactly what is happening, if there's something supernatural going on, or if it is just an expression of mental illness. I saw Hereditary when it first came out in theaters, and this movie just knocked me out. Um, It is kind of a punishing experience to watch. Not because of the scariness or the gore, but because there is such deep emotional human trauma in this movie. Uh, When I was walking out of the theater after seeing it, uh, this line from Hamlet just popped into my head, this is the poison of deep grief. And I think that's a really apt tagline for what Hereditary is. Ari Aster said that it is uh, a family uh, drama that curdles into a nightmare. And I think that's a really great way to look at it. Um, But the emotions really come first in Hereditary. This is a movie that begins with a funeral and death just continues to hover over this particular family and you watch the grief and the trauma from all these events just completely annihilate everyone and it's so visceral and uncomfortable to watch um, and so truthful and honest in the way it is both written and performed and shot 
And Ari Aster uh, has been pretty vague um, in interviews about his inspirations for Hereditary. Uh, he has said that it is based on a period of years in his own family where so many horrible things kept happening one after the other, and he's never specified exactly what those events are. But it really led him to wonder, like, is there some sort of curse on my family? Is there something that's following us? Um, and so that's where Hereditary comes from. Ari Aster, I think, is one of my favorite new directors. Um, before Hereditary, he was very uh, known for his short film, The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, which you can watch online. Uh, it is a lot. It is deeply, deeply disturbing. Um, there's nothing supernatural about it. It is very human horror. But I think that is really Ari Aster's interest. All of the work he's done has been about very human horror. Um, so there's that, and then Hereditary, and then his second film released a year later uh, in 2019, Midsommar. And Midsommar is one of my favorite movies ever made. Uh, it's in my top ten movies. But it is very definitely a summer movie. It doesn't make me think Halloween, so that's why we're not talking about it here, but we're cheating and I'm mentioning it anyway. Uh, and if you do watch Midsommar, uh, seek out the director's cut, which is almost three hours long, about a half hour longer than the theatrical cut. It is, the, it is an even better version. So, yes. Uh, but... Hereditary, back to what we're supposed to be talking about. Hereditary, like Rosemary's Baby, has a jaw-droppingly phenomenal um, performance at the center of it. Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby and Tony Collette in Hereditary. I think it is absolute bullshit that Toni Collette was not nominated for an Oscar for her work in Hereditary uh, as Annie, who's the mother of this family that is coming apart and haunted by death. She goes to places in this movie that I don't know if I've ever seen a, another actor go to. Maybe I can think of one or two. Um, but just deep, 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 pain and grief and rage uh, and not afraid to be ugly, um, not afraid to be vulnerable. Uh, Tony Collette is just astounding in this movie. Like even if you don't like horror movies really, I would say that everyone should at least try and watch Hereditary because Tony Collette's work in it is just just outstanding. I, I mean, I don't have really words to describe how incredible she is, uh, but she is absolutely incredible. Um, also, in this small and also terrific cast, you have Gabriel Byrne as Steve, who is the father. Uh, he is also a psychiatrist. Uh, and it was it's not stated explicitly in the film, but Ari Aster did include um, backstory and some deleted scenes that 
Annie, played by Tony Collette, actually started out as one of Steve's patients, and then they fell in love and are now married and have children. Uh, Gabriel Byrne, like, it's not a showy role. Like, he's a very inward, quiet presence. But Gabriel Byrne is a great actor, so there's something really, really fascinating about that. Also, I think probably at least worth an Oscar nomination is Alex Wolf as Peter, who is the 16-year-old son in the family. Also does really, really deep emotional work um, and does it in a way that is so honest uh, and never goes over the top. Uh, He's really, really, really great. And then you also have Millie Shapiro as Charlie, who is the daughter in the family. And there's something odd about Charlie, something a little off. Uh, She sleeps most of the nights away from the family in this sort of weird tree house that has um, a heater, so it makes the windows light up red. Um, You know, and when you think about the title Hereditary, you wonder if something has been passed on to uh, Charlie. There's clearly something going on there. And then you also have the marvelous Anne Dowd, who I think most people are familiar with if they've watched The Handmaid's Tale. She's uh, Lydia in The Handmaid's Tale and is brilliant in that. And she is brilliant in Hereditary as uh, Joan, um, who is a woman who has also experienced loss, who befriends Annie, uh, Tony Collette's character. And Anne Dowd is very much the Ruth Gordon mini cast of Etta Rosemary's Baby. She very much fulfills that kind of role in Hereditary, but does it in a completely different way, in a way that is so interesting. Uh, she really does really, really wonderful uh, work. As Hereditary goes on, uh, the supernatural instances start to ramp up. And this is one of those movies that you kind of have to watch twice. Because the first time you watch the movie, you're going to experience it how you experience it. Uh, And then you get to the end and find out what's really been going on all this time. And then if you watch Hereditary again, there are so many Easter eggs planted in full view of the audience all throughout the movie, from the very beginning, from the very first scene, there are all these hints and clues of what's going on and what is to come. It is brilliantly put together um, by Ari Aster. Uh, So you kind of have to watch this twice. Uh, I recommend that you do, because you'll notice so many more things, and it will be an even richer and I think an even scarier experience when you see how it's all kind of laid out there for you in the beginning. Um, But it's done in ways that you don't really notice the first time around or you don't notice all of it. And Hereditary, while also being very emotionally 
painful and grueling also, I think, has moments that are tremendously scary. There is imagery that is used in this movie that you will not forget once you've seen it. And I really enjoy how Ari Aster in Hereditary plays with the taboos of seeing the body of a loved one after they're dead without saying too much. I think Ari Aster uses that sort of disturbing sort of primal human taboo in very, very effective ways. And again, things that once you've seen it, it will stay with you. Uh, So highly recommend you check out Hereditary and do that. And then we'll come back and we'll close out the night. My friends, thank you for joining me once again for 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens. That's me. Tomorrow night, we are going to continue our theme of satanic panic with two very different movies, both very, very effective. The Devils from 1971 and The Exorcist from 1973. I'll see you then. Happy Halloween. <laughs>